Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Jeff Lucas. Let's talk about a subject that absolutely affects every single one of us, and that's money. According to a recent survey, financial well-being is more important to 57% of Brits than physical or social well-being, and yet only 54% of people check their bank statements weekly. Indeed, financial discomfort kicks in for one in five of us when we eventually do check our accounts and find out that we've shelled out more than we expected. The survey also reports that one in five 18 to 34-year-olds also want to be more in control of their finances. Money. In a sense, it really does make the world go round because we all need it. Most of us want more. Some crave more. Some of us battle envy when others have a bigger pot of cash than we do. And when it comes to money, some of us actually go silent because we feel it's not terribly polite to talk about it. But let's consider this. In the Bible, there are around 2,350 verses that talk about handling money and possessions compared with around 500 each on prayer and faith. And yet in the church, sometimes we go silent, resenting the Christian leader who teaches about money. Oh yeah, the church is surely after my money again. Let's agree that money creates many challenges, but money is not the problem. We are. Money is not the root of all evil. It is the love of money that's the root of all evil. Now, I'm really aware that with inflation still at alarming figures, this week the Chancellor of the Exchequer, Jeremy Hunt, stated that the battle against inflation in the UK is far from over, with grocery prices up by 19.1%. And I know, therefore, that money might be a sore, even very painful subject for some listeners right now. But perhaps that makes it just a little more important that we talk about money generosity, and the perils of just accumulating more stuff here on Lucas on Life. Let's talk money. For starters, let's turn to the book of Proverbs, much of it written by a fabulously rich man, King Solomon. He was wiser and richer than all the kings of the earth. He surpassed them all. People came from all over the world to be with Solomon and to drink in the wisdom God had given him. So says 1 Kings chapter 10. There's only one prayer in the whole book of Proverbs, and it's about money. Proverbs 37 to 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane the name of my God. In other words, we're being encouraged to pray for enough. Not too little, not too much. Solomon also teaches us that money should never be our number one priority. Proverbs 22 verse 2, rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is the maker of them all. Today, as followers of Jesus, we're called to make God the priority in our lives. And it's interesting that Jesus singled out money as the thing that we might be tempted to serve 
rather than the Lord. In Matthew 6, we hear, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Proverbs also teaches us that money is not the most precious commodity, but rather wisdom is. Proverbs 8, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Solomon also reminds us that whatever we have, we can't take it with us. Proverbs 23, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. All of that said, Solomon is very practical about us stewarding what we have. He calls us to save if we can. Proverbs 21, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. And then Solomon calls us to budgeting as well. Proverbs 27, be sure that you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Hmm, maybe we should check our bank statements a little more frequently. All of this ancient wisdom points us to this truth. Money is a vital part of all of our lives, and so in our spending, saving, giving, budgeting, let's be those who seek to handle money God's way. We're talking money, and let's talk generosity, because meanness surely is ugly. Grabbing is so unattractive. Black Friday events are dark indeed as the retail sector's excuse for a greed-fueled shopping frenzy sparks scuffles and scrums across the country. Determined ninja shoppers jump queues, elbow each other, shove and even punch each other in their determined pursuit of alleged bargains. The spirit of Ebenezer Scrooge, the lead character in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, is alive and well on Black Friday. But we don't have to be penny pinchers to qualify as being stingy. We only need to insist that most of our pennies and pounds are spent on us. Dickens paints Scrooge, that wizened old skinflint, as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hardly a handsome portrait. But we don't have to wrestle with fellow shoppers to qualify as cheap. We've all been around people who work overtime to be last in the queue when it comes to paying. At the coffee shop, they open the door and insist that we go in first. This is not out of courtesy, but it's a tactical manoeuvre. In some cases, this is not out of courtesy, but it's a tactical manoeuvre ensuring that you get to the counter before them so you'll be more likely to flash your credit card. Or, at the end of a pleasant meal, their sudden departure to the bathroom is timed precisely to coincide with the arrival of the bill at the table. Returning from the loo relieved, their relief is heightened by the knowledge that you paid in their absence. It's irritating, especially when some veneer their meanness by making a virtue of it, insisting that they're just being thrifty, when in fact they're just squeakily tight. 
All of this manipulative meanness not only takes a lot of effort, but actually robs us of the joy of giving. A recent sociological survey featured in the book The Paradox of Giving revealed that generosity is very good for us, and not in a silly televangelist give and God will make you rich way. The meticulous research of that book revealed that the more generous we are, the more happiness, health, and purpose in life we enjoy. Generosity not only blesses others, but brings a smile to our own hearts as well. And generosity, more importantly, changes the world. The early Christians profoundly impacted their culture with their generous lifestyles, even though most of them were poor. In their day, generosity was not widely valued as a virtue. Roman society embraced a system called liberates. Simply put, the code went like this. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. A tidy arrangement, unless you were poor and had nothing to give. Widows and orphans found themselves stranded at the bottom of the social food chain. In beautiful contrast to that, the early followers of Jesus gave their service, their money, their goods, their time, their safety, their creature comforts, and their reputations with a generosity that was not just a series of isolated, unusual actions, but as a way of life. They scattered good everywhere, freely and indiscriminately. They looked for sweaty feet to wash, and even went further. When terrible plagues hit, and huge swathes of the population fled the cities, abandoning the sick, the Christians stayed behind, nursing the ill back to life, which meant that some of them died in the process. It's been said that we are most like God when we give. Those early believers didn't just share words and ideas about God, but they showed a confused world what the giving God actually looks like. So let's choose to live generously, and not just with our stuff. I'd like to talk a little about the perils of stuff. They say it's one of the most stressful experiences available. Having gone through the purgatory that is moving house, I'd like to say that they, whoever they are, are right. Our loft was like the headquarters of Hoarders Anonymous. I stomped around its humid, dusty half-light, and imagine myself sitting in a circle of forlorn-looking people, their heads down, each one of them clutching black plastic bin liners stuffed with possessions. Hi, my name is Jeff, and I like to keep stuff. Hi, Jeff, they reply in unison, folding their bin bags closer to their chests. The loft held few delights or surprises. We found old lampshades that were never attractive at any point in human history, designed by warped individuals who were surely on a hellish mission to make the world a more ugly place. We unearthed broken toys that were way beyond healing, and ornaments that were cracked and chipped, but had been too nice to throw away. There was a Christmas tree with a two-legged plastic stand. It would have taken a miracle for it to look merry again. An old suitcase with a zipper that had lost its zip. Clothing that would look great on ABBA. I turned too quickly in the twilight and got a poke in the eye from an old television aerial suspended from the cobwebbed rafters. Deep joy. There was a brief respite when we uncovered the family photographs, which signalled a torrent of oohs and ahs. 
We shed a tear or ten over our long-lost babies, all grown up now, and we cringed at our awful 1970s hairstyles and wondered if someone had dared us to have that haircut. Questions abounded. Were we deranged and drug-crazed when we visited the hairdressers? And why did I buy that suit with the jacket lapels that looked like the wings of a Boeing? Did the whole world look that ridiculous in 1973? How come nobody noticed? Would we look back someday at 2023 photos and suffer a similar nausea? And so we engaged in the difficult business of getting rid of things, moving some stuff. We sent six trailer loads to the dump and we were able to dispose of some perfectly good things that were no longer of any use to us. The local charity shop restocked its shelves because of the clear out and our daughter raised a good chunk of change for missions by hauling the rest of the stuff to a car boot sale. But the process of shedding, getting rid of it all, was not without pain. We found out that stuff, even relatively useless stuff, is sticky. It doesn't want to part company with us without putting up a good fight. While sorting things out, we repeatedly heard the insane whisper, you never know when you might need that. It was such a seductive suggestion, momentarily blinding us to the obvious fact that at that moment that we might need that item, we are unlikely to spend three hours unpacking crates in the loft in order to find it, even if we could remember where we had put it in the first place. The cold truth was simple. The sticky stuff had to go. It took even more serious willpower to discard some things, and we didn't always win. Some items placed in the get rid pile launched a silent appeal and were taken back to our bosom once again. We found out that stuff demands an irrational allegiance, an unreasonable faithfulness, even a mild form of worship. But as the trailer went to the dump and the boxes to the charity shop, we felt a strange sense of exhilaration. We had successfully negotiated a clear-out and the somewhat minimalist house that was left seemed to be a reflection of cleared hearts and minds, just a little less cluttered and encumbered. And perhaps, in bidding so many things goodbye, we'd found out that we did not have to hoard like a squirrel sitting on a mountain of nuts. In a tiny way, the power to possess had been challenged, if only a little. After all, we only really rejected the things that were not of value to us. This was no Mother Teresa triumph over materialism. But we took a faltering step, learning a small lesson, an education that the marketers and advertisers don't want us to learn. Things are just things. Stuff is only stuff. Or to put it more eloquently, and indeed biblically, a person's possession does not consist in the abundance of possessions. So thanks so much for joining me tonight, and may God help each one of us to handle money with faith and wisdom. If we're struggling, may we know God's provision. If we're able, let's be generous. And wherever we find ourselves financially, let's know that money is to be our servant and not our master. See you next week. Lucas on Life.